It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Our Canucks are very proud to select Daniel and Henrik Sedin. From boys to men, the Sedin twins have spent half their lives playing for the Canucks. Today they announced this season is their last. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with that bittersweet announcement today from the Twins. After 18 seasons with the Vancouver Canucks, the face of the franchise, Henrik and Daniel Sedin, are retiring at the end of the season. Squire Barnes explains how they came to that decision and their legacy with the team. You guys sitting in the right order? Daniel's on the left. <laughs> they have pretty much grown up in front of us, and almost half their lives have been as Vancouver Canucks. It's, uh, it's been, it's been a, an amazing uh, 17 years, that's for sure. Oddly enough, there were times early in their career when many fans thought the Canucks would be better off trading the Twins. But management always refused, believing the Sedins would eventually become stars. It would have been easy to, to trade us early on because uh, we didn't live up to maybe the, the hype that, that we came with. So uh, there's a lot of those, those people that you want to thank because uh, without them we might have been somewhere else. Now the decision to retire did not come suddenly. It was a discussion that was done between Daniel and Henrik and their family and it started shortly after the season began. I think we started to talk back in November a little bit and, and uh, then Christmas came and trade, trade deadline and just uh, it became clear to us that this was the, the right decision. And the Sedins waited until the very last week to make the announcement because a long goodbye just isn't their style. They've never been about self-aggrandizing. A simple so long, a chance to thank the fans is really all they want. Yeah, it's more us getting a chance to thank the fans than, than the other way around. So it'll be, it'll be fun. Our family's in town too. They, they obviously meant a lot to us uh, throughout these years. So it's going to be, yeah, it'll be fun. The real sad part about this is it's just the game is losing two incredible ambassadors uh, that represented the game so great. Um, uh, but it's going to be an, a fun week and it's going to be an exciting week for our fans and, uh, and, and for their families too to, 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 to be able to have this special time. So no long goodbye, but a short goodbye. Uh, Squire is here to talk more about this. Uh, we'll have more on the Sedin's contribution to the community coming up in just a moment, but their contribution to the Canucks history really well they go down as as one of the greats in canucks history uh next year they'll retire their numbers nobody will wear 22 or 33 again and the canucks had to make a lot of moves in 1999 brian burke did to be able to draft both of them and as we said in the story there were times later they are before they got to be vancouver canucks and that's draft day there were times a lot of people thought well maybe burke should move these guys and he didn't and they believe that eventually they become great players. And they both, well, they both won scoring titles. And a lot of people seem to forget that. And, and uh, Henrik was the MVP one year. And, of course, they almost won the Stanley Cup here. But more than anything else, if you talk to players who played with them, played against them, coaches that work with them, none of them 
have anything bad to say about the Sedins. It's nothing but praise for the way they played and the way they conducted themselves. Just quickly, where does this leave the Canucks going forward now? Well, I mean, the Sedins are getting older, and um, but they're still contributors. I know the team isn't doing very well. The one thing you will see now, the biggest thing is the leadership now shifts. Mm-hmm. And I think there's no doubt in my mind that the next man on that Canucks bench to where the C is captain will be Bo Horvat. And right. Horvat was with them for the last four years, watched Henrik and Daniel closely, mm-hmm. and learned how to lead like they do. It's the changing of the guard. It happens in sports. It happens all the time. All right, Squire, we'll talk to you in a little bit. Thank you. And you knew this was bound to happen. Shortly after the Sedins announced their retirement today, ticket prices for the Canucks' final home game on Thursday skyrocketed. Prices had been lower recently, but that's over, and now fans are seeing tickets in the hundreds, and some say thousands of dollars. Now, more about the Sedins off the ice. Many can't talk about Daniel and Henrik without mentioning the work they do in the community, much of it on their own initiative. Aaron MacArthur has more on how they've given back and how Canuck Nation is reacting to their retirement news. Yeah. If the Sedins weren't on the ice, there was a reasonable chance you'd find them here at BC Children's Hospital. The brothers donated their time and millions of their own money. It was part of the job, but more than that, part of who they are as people. Okay, when you when you go there, uh, you see the kids, how happy they are. I think that's the, probably the most emotional uh, place we go to. And uh, I think as, as players, we, we really appreciate that, that visit. Whether it was the hospital or Canucks Place or other community events, the Sedins were constantly in the public eye. Not because they had to be, but because they wanted to be. They're humble. Um, they're very um, open and loving with people. And what I've observed, you know, with our children and families at Canuck Place is the way that they are with them. What the Sedins maybe never really understood was what their visits meant to the kids they met. Ben Dooley was a patient at Children's Hospital. And after a surgery eight years ago, it was Henrik Sedin's face, the first that he saw when he woke up. When somebody that you idolize comes by and, you know, takes, takes five minutes out of their day, or, you know, for somebody like the Sedins, it, it, it might be 15 minutes, it might be a half an hour, uh, you know, th- that's, that's pretty special. Hockey players retire all the time. For fans, this feels different. They've done so much for, like, Children's Hospital, and they're just great human beings. Yeah. They're like family to us. Uh, we're going to miss them. I got one ticket. One ticket I got for one Thursday. Ticket. Oh my God, I'm so happy. The generosity <laughs> likely will continue. The Sedins planning on calling Vancouver home for the near future. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And we'll have much more on the Sedin's retirement coming up in Squire Sports as well. Now, a major step forward in Metro Vancouver's transportation plan. Today, Ottawa committed to providing more than $4.1 billion in federal funding over the next decade for infrastructure projects. Our Tanya Beja joins us live with the details. Tanya, we've been hearing about this for a while. So what does today's announcement mean exactly? Well, Sophie, essentially it means that TransLink now has the funding necessary to take the next step in its long-range transportation plan. Uh, The federal and provincial government signed an agreement which earmarks $2.2 billion for transit projects in Metro Vancouver. Uh, Those include light rail in Surrey, an extension of the Millennium Line along Broadway, and an additional 420,000 hours of bus service. Now, the money had previously been announced in last year's federal 
federal budget. So it's not necessarily new money, but this agreement unlocks it for BC to use over the next 10 years. Here's more now from BC's Transportation Minister. Transit is a priority. It's so important to get people out of their cars into transit. It's better for a quality of life. It's better for congestion. It's better for the environment. It's better for our economy. Now, the remainder of the $4.1 billion will go towards green infrastructure, community infrastructure, and projects in rural and northern communities. Sophie, back to you. All right. Thanks for that, Tanya Beja, in Vancouver for us. BC travelers who vacationed aboard a cruise ship from Miami to L.A. are sharing details of their nightmare at sea. They boarded the ship ready for a memorable vacation, which it was, but for all the wrong reasons. Jean-Hua reports. Like its name, the Norwegian Sun delivered on the rays. But it was 15 days of construction sounds. It smells like somebody has opened up a can of fresh paint. The suffocating scent of fumes. Quick shot of the bar area. And dust-covered decks that made passengers feel like they were in hell on water. We felt like we were duped. Trish Vale and 10 other family members had been planning the trip along the Panama Canal for a year, dropping nearly $70,000 in total on what was supposed to be the family vacation of a lifetime. We were really looking forward to uh, getting away and being together, so we were very excited. Vale says there was no evidence of renovations until they were at sea. Then the crews went to work. People shared sun tanning space with storage. Even the child's pool was closed. You'll see people painting or certain areas that are being refurbished. But this impacted the passengers for virtually the entire extent of their cruise. And that is not normal. Halfway through the journey and hundreds of passengers decided they had enough, staging a mutiny of sorts. It's come from the top of the management, from the shore side, and don't shoot on me. The captain only lasting a few minutes before leaving the crowd. Norwegian Cruise Line sending Global News this statement. While we do our utmost to minimize any impact on the guest experience when these enhancements are taking place, we recognize that in this situation, our guests have experienced some inconvenience. Offering the same deal passengers were given while on the ship. 25% off another cruise until March of 2019. They need to compensate us for this cruise and the things we could and couldn't do. Adding salt water to the wounds, the Norwegian Sun is on its way to Victoria, where it will actually be dry docked for the rest of its renovations. John Hua, Global News. It's not too late to help save the Rio. A 30-hour telethon is underway to raise $1 million, the last part of a down payment for the theater, which is currently at risk of redevelopment. Grace Key has more on the final push to preserve the beloved East Vancouver Theater. Go onto a stage early in the morn. And start, and start yelling at the people. The Rio Theatre is in the final stretch of a 30-hour fundraiser aimed at saving the 1938 landmark from possible redevelopment. The webcast telethon started at 6 p.m. Sunday night and wraps up at midnight. Local comedians Eric Fell and Patrick Maliha came up with the idea and have the grueling task of hosting the event for 30 straight hours. Overnight, we raised tens of dollars 
And we raised, uh, we raised thousands of dollars. Actually, we did. Thousands we have, of dollars. Yeah, and it's it's been thousands, uh, thousands of dollars. We're amazed how high the total board goes. Hello. Hello. $18. million is needed for a down payment on the building. Investors put in $2 million, and backers are hoping to raise the final million from the public. They have until April 7th to get their funds in order. All it takes is one big, someone with a big donation, and, and we could reach our goal. Um, or maybe we just inspire thousands of people to chip in, and we could reach our goal. We're here to save the Rio. Big names have thrown in their support, including director-actor Kevin Smith, who performed two sold-out benefit shows, and Vancouver native actor Ryan Reynolds. The independent theater not only shows movies, but offers one of the few venues in town for live performers. I will fight everyone! Uh, It was the only place that I could afford that wasn't like some dingy pub somewhere. It was like on a proper stage and it made me feel like a real performer. Like any great show, the telethon's final act may leave you on the edge of your seat with an announcement from the owner. I would assume it's good or something positive. Not a lot of people like, the big announcement is this. Everybody get out. We have 20 minutes. Uh, The the demolition trucks are up there on their way. It's a surprise ending you won't want to miss. Grace Key, Global News. And at last count, just over 352000 of the $1 million needed has been raised. To find out how you can still help, check out our website, globalnews.ca slash bc. Right now, though, new public transportation will be making an appearance in some Metro Vancouver communities this summer. As Jeff Hastings reports, trolleys and shuttle services will help locals and tourists get around and hopefully boost a number of bottom lines. On a perfect day in Port Moody, parking your Rocky Point Park is practically impossible. A spot opens up, four vehicles wait ready to pounce. But relief is on the way. Did you hear about the trolley? Yes. What do you think? Amazing. It's being called a trolley service, likely a small bus running around the city centre, stopping at the SkyTrain stations, Suterbrook, and of course, Rocky Point Park and Brewers Row. Cool. Definitely something I'll take advantage of. The trolley won't be running up and down this street full-time. It's going to start Fridays at 4 p.m., Saturday and Sunday at 2, running till midnight each night. The city's waterfront endeavors are more crowded by the year. The service is intended to ease congestion and improve safety while keeping the crowds coming. Yeah, we're definitely expecting our busiest summer yet. Um, We had a big bump when the SkyTrain came in in December of 2016, I believe it was, and it's just been growing since then. The reputation of the breweries, the amazing park over there, so it's a great spot in the summertime. Lots of uh, events going on here in the summertime. We always have problems with the parking, so it's good to have, Charlie. Local businesses are loving what the city and TransLink are cooking up. Many stand to benefit. I think it's going to be great for business. I spend a lot of time here on Brewers Row, and parking is certainly at a premium, and having a, a trolley going up and down is going to be great for business. Port Moody isn't alone. White Rock recently resurrected a soon-to-be-expanded project, running people between beaches and along their main drag. Squamish is getting something similar as well. The Port Moody service starts in June, runs through August, and will be free, paid for by the city. Jeff Hastings, Global News. You may not fully understand cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, but you could be helping cyber criminals cash in on them without even knowing. Our consumer reporter, Andrew, is here with more on this new threat and what you need to know. Kind of scary, right? 
I don't even understand cryptocurrency, and now you've got to oh, worry this, about these This things. is especially worrisome. Thank you, Sophie. Cybersecurity researchers predict the growing wave of what's known as cryptojacking will be the number one threat this year, fueled by the rising value of cryptocurrencies. Criminals are taking advantage of Bitcoin's dramatic increase in value over the last year and engaging in crypto mining. Hackers monetize their infected computers, using them to mine for cryptocurrencies without having to pay for operating costs like electricity. Web users visiting a site corrupted by malicious code may not even know their computer is hijacked because the crypto jacking stops when they leave the website. Up to 50,000 websites in Canada are believed to have been compromised. Experts say it's a widespread threat that can be run on any computer system. It even works on mobile devices. So essentially, um, Today, you could go to your website, a website that you trust even, and that website silently is using your computer, your processor, to mine for cryptocurrencies uh, while you're visiting the website. You know, the, the more that you let those miners run into your computer, the more uh, you're generating a profit for criminals, and they're going to use that money to reinvest uh, it into other, uh, you know, kind of attacks, perhaps more advanced attacks. So if you don't even know what's happening, how do you know you're being crypto jacked? There are some clues. Crypto miners use a lot of computing power, which could lead to a spike in your electricity bill or overheating and hardware damage on your mobile device. It's hard to track the crypto jackers behind the malicious transactions because criminals can remain anonymous. The risk for consumers is more about unknowingly fueling criminal activity. You can mitigate the threat by running security software, including including ad blocker. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks for that, Anne. Well, there are concerns tonight that some B.C. blueberry farmers could be facing big financial losses, all for the lack of pollination. Jill Bennett explains why some beekeepers are refusing to put their hives in blueberry fields. You can start to see the individual flowers there. In about two or three weeks, these blueberry fields will be in full bloom and thousands of bees will be needed to pollinate the crop. For a very short period after that, three or four days, uh, the pollen and pollen tubes are actually receptive to be pollinated. And if you have four days of rain during that period, it's going to be really tough to get that, that flower pollinated. Smith has paid for enough bees to cover his property this season, but there are more than 600 growers in the Fraser Valley and not as many bees this year. Some beekeepers, commercial beekeepers that that came from out of province last year uh, are not wanting to return because of the fungicide spraying and blueberries. Jabot says Alberta beekeepers provide BC with about 30% of the colonies needed. He admits last year was a bad one, but says there were other factors, including bad weather, and a lack of bees will have a direct impact on farmers' bottom lines. There'll be a shortage of between two and 4,000 colonies, which will cost the blueberry growers over $12 million in lost fruit. But some say fungicides are a small part of a bigger problem for bees. So much agriculture is done on vast single crop acreages that bees are not able to forage on the diverse pollen they need to rear good healthy uh, brood. And so bees have nutritional deficiencies. We encourage the farmers to, to not plant on every square foot of their property to allow some natural forage so that bees can, can go to blackberries, weeds, and get some nutrition from other plants. But even though bee numbers are down this year, 
I think that there's going to be lots of uh, healthy BC blueberries. Meaning there is no reason for consumers to panic. Jill Bennett, Global News. Surveillance video shows an explosion lighting up a Lake Tahoe street, launching a manhole cover into the air. The blast was powerful enough to shatter the cover and damage the street, but luckily no one was injured. Officials say two power vaults beneath the road that connected casinos overloaded and exploded. Donald Trump is sending shockwaves through Washington, D.C. once again tonight with reports that he's invited Russian leader Vladimir Putin to a, me- uh, to a summit meeting. This as the investigation continues into alleged Russian meddling in the 2016 election. The president today welcoming thousands of families to the annual Easter egg roll here at the White House. We keep it in tip-top shape. We call it sometimes tippy-top shape. And it's a great, great place. And the White House could be the venue for a blockbuster summit between President Trump and Vladimir Putin. The Kremlin today revealing Mr. Trump suggested it during his congratulatory call with Putin last month. We will uh, probably get together in the not-too-distant future so that we can discuss uh, arms. Press Secretary Sarah Sanders confirming the president's discussed a sit-down at a number of potential venues, including the White House. Tonight, Putin's aides say there haven't been any concrete discussions since. But Russia's ambassador with NBC News embraced the idea. I consider that it's a very positive signal from the United States that it's high time for two presidents to sit together. It would be a stunning sight hosting the leader of the country accused of meddling in the 2016 election. Despite deteriorating ties between the U.S. and Russia, President Trump remains reluctant to criticize Putin. And during that recent call, avoided condemning Russia for the poisoning of a former spy in Britain, even as his administration expelled dozens of Russian diplomats from the U.S. last week. The president's last White House meeting with top Russian officials sparked its own controversy when he shared classified information, appearing to jeopardize a critical ally's intelligence source on ISIS. A troubling development tonight in the tragedy that appears to have killed all eight members of a Washington state family. California police say the crash that killed Jennifer and Sarah Hart and at least three of their six adopted children might have been intentional. Investigators say the SUV's onboard computer shows the vehicle stopped at a pullout and then accelerated over the cliff at 145 kilometers an hour. Police are still searching for the three missing children, but they're also believed to have died. The hearts were being investigated by social services after a neighbor complained the children were being deprived of food. The so-called affluenza teen who generated outrage for his sentence for a deadly drunk driving crash is a free man tonight. Ethan Couch, now 20 years old, walked out of a Texas courthouse on probation. Couch was 16 when he killed four people in a drunk driving crash back in 2013 after an expert witness testified that his spoiled upbringing prevented him from knowing right from wrong. He was given 10 years probation. He was sentenced to two years in jail after violating that probation and was released today after serving his time. South Africans are remembering the woman many called the mother of the nation. My husband has been fighting for the liberation of the African people. Winnie Mandela, the ex-wife of Nobel Peace Prize winner Nelson Mandela, passed away today at the age of 81 after a long illness. 
She married Mandela in 1954 and kept his fight against apartheid alive during his decades of imprisonment. She was jailed several times and was held under house arrest. She was with Mandela when he was released from prison in 1990, but their marriage ended in divorce six years later. Her political activism was marred by a kidnapping and assault conviction in 1991 and a later conviction for fraud. Still, she was widely admired for her role in fighting white minority rule. In Health Matters tonight, Stella Artois has recalled some of its beer. The recall covers certain, pro uh, certain production codes of Stella in glass bottle multi-packs of 6, 12, 18 or 24. Some best of Belgium packs could also be affected. The recalled bottles could contain particles of glass. Although the company believes less than 1% of its bottles are affected. You can find a full list of the recalled bottles at globalnews.ca slash BC. It's a near miraculous treatment for many people with Parkinson's disease and other movement disorders, allowing them to live a more normal life. But the wait in BC for deep brain stimulation is no less than five years. And its proponents are calling on the NDP government to change that. Linda Ellsworth reports. Can you stand up? One in 500 Canadians lives with Parkinson's disease, a complex degenerative brain disorder that affects the ability to move. These patients uh, do require a lot of healthcare dollars uh, because they're disabled, and we can uh, we can reduce or eliminate that if if we're, we're given the chance. But many BC patients with Parkinson's and other movement disorders, like dystonia, who could be helped by something called deep brain stimulation, or DBS, are stuck on long waiting lists. We implant the electrodes into an area of the brain that is not working correctly, and then modulate that part of the brain so it is working closer to perfection. It's controlled by a sort of pacemaker implanted under the skin. Remember Dale at the beginning of this story? This is what happened when the stimulator was turned on. This is a guy who is not disabled, but completely diametrically opposed, uh, and yet 30 seconds apart. Here's the problem. While Toronto has three functional neurosurgeons performing the procedure, and Alberta has two, BC has just one, Dr. Chris Honey. The result, a five-year wait from referral to surgery. It hurts to see people that are in that kind of condition, and knowing that um, if uh, they lived somewhere else, they might have uh, much quicker access to it. It's been five years since Stephen Gardner had the procedure that he says gave him his life back. This, this disease isn't, isn't going to go away anytime soon. We're a long way from a cure. The Parkinson's patients are typically elderly. They want their quality of life now. And so I would say um, everything should be done within a year. What they're asking for is more funding, okay. to hire another surgeon, to pay for more OR time, and for the stimulators themselves. It's that, or years of this, versus this. The lack of mobility, the flailing around, the... Um, the freezing, the pain, that's, that's a lot to ask of somebody. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Los Angeles first responders are celebrating a miraculous rescue tonight. A 13-year-old boy pulled from the city's maze of underground sewage pipelines after being trapped in the toxic environment for 12 hours. 
where we found where the uh, kid fell into a drainage. The 12-hour search began at this decommissioned sewage facility and came to an end a half mile away under one of L.A.'s busiest freeways. We have found Jesse Hernandez. The 13-year-old survived the unimaginable. After celebrating Easter with family, Jesse Hernandez fell through a hole, plunging 25 feet down into rushing water. Hernandez swept into the underground system. The chances uh, of surviving in that toxic environment, to be honest, we were surprised we found him alive. With firefighters searching overnight, crews opened manhole covers. But the city's sewer system is a maze. When Hernandez was found 11 feet down, he was in a section of pipe three and a half feet tall, with raw sewage running through it. A specialized maintenance camera like this one could see handprints where the boy tried to stop his slide. Using the camera and a sanitation team, a crew moved in. The first thing they heard is help. A miracle rescue with twists and turns this 13-year-old will never forget. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News, Los Angeles. After the forecast, why video of this high school catcher is going viral. Don't blink or you'll miss it. All right, Yvonne Shell joins us now with a look at our forecast after, uh, you know, a pleasant looking weekend, although it was cold. Yes, definitely cool for many areas into the central interior. Even for us across the south coast, we started off at 1 today and then a high of 9 degrees. We've got an increase in cloud cover, change on the way, and the return for some wet weather. The timing in just a moment. But here's a look at our tower cam shot overlooking English Bay. We've got that cloud cover rolling its way in. So far, dry out of the airport, 9, a southeasterly wind at 26 kilometers per hour. Our high today, so 9 degrees. We're still slightly below the average for this time time of the year that sits at 11 degrees. A few other numbers across the province at this hour. Three is your current temperature for trail. One for areas near Prince George, Prince Rupert sitting at three degrees and Victoria currently sitting at nine degrees. As we zoom on out, the big weather picture that we're following, this is our Tuesday. It's unsettled. We are looking at a chance of showers developing as early as the morning hours, but this next weather maker that is going to push in on our Wednesday, bringing rainfall and heavy at times and continuing to bring moisture over the next few days. Higher elevations and inland sections for tomorrow, especially into the interior, we'll see that snow transition over to rain. And then on Wednesday, the next weather maker pushing in will bring us a significant amount of rain for most areas across the south coast. And I put the rain forecast all the way in towards Friday. So we're looking at upwards of 20 and up to 30 millimeters for most areas as we do approach the weekend. Coastal sections for the northern half of the province, it'll be snow changing over to rain. Inland, the snowfall will be up to two and four centimeters before it tapers off late in the day. The northeastern corners of the province, it's cloud cover with a 30% chance to see an isolated flurry. Much of the central interior, a chance of flurries, but not much in terms of accumulation. Columbia and Kootenai region, right along the Rockies, will see that snow transition over to rain. The Thompson Okanagan tomorrow will be dry conditions, but we are looking at a mainly cloudy sky. Areas near Kelowna will be up to eight. Areas near Whistler tomorrow will see a few wet flurries for the morning hours, changing over to rain with a high four degrees. And across the south coast, heading out for the morning hours, we are going to look at a chance of showers. And then the heavier round of rain will push in late. And we will see it heavy at times leading in towards our Wednesday onwards. Temperatures tomorrow, though, still will climb into the double digits with a high of 10 degrees. And then it's quite soggy looking ahead towards our Wednesday onwards and even unsettled leading into the end of the work week. 
Tonight's weather window, Soph, is sent in from Laurel. This is the Okanagan Rail Trail in Vernon. Back to you. Very nice. Thank you, Yvonne. Well, Tennessee high school baseball catcher Luke Terry has been in the news before, but he's once again a social media sensation after admiring parents posted videos of him in action. Like we said, blink and you miss it. So we'll slow it down for you. Luke catches the ball, flips it in the air, drops his glove to catch the ball and then throws it all in just over one second. Luke lost his right arm to an infection when he was 19 months old, but as you can see, that hasn't stopped him from becoming a star player. He's hoping to go to the majors, which have had two players with one arm over the years. So many stories about the Sedines well, on, on Twitter. The hashtag, thank you, Sedines, is... Trending, or as I said, if you go around the NHL and you ask players who play with them, players who played against them, especially the coaches who Mm -hmm. coach them, they all have nothing but praise for these guys. I don't think there's anybody in the NHL who doesn't like them. And probably coaches who wish they had coached them at some point, or wish their players were more like them. Yeah, exactly. I think sometimes the Canucks wish that Mrs. Sedin had quintuplets (laughs) and not just twins. Uh, you can talk about their stats. You can talk about their charity work off the ice. You can talk about their ability to lead by example. You can talk for hours about Henrik and Daniel Sedin, and you won't run out of things to say. But one thing that their detractors have always gone after the twins about is toughness or a lack of toughness. But that brings us to this question. What is toughness in the NHL? Is it about fighting? Is it about big hits? Because if it is, then yes, the Sedins weren't tough. But is it about playing hurt, playing as much as possible, not taking games off? Because that is toughness as well. And when you use that barometer, that measuring stick, then the Sedins are rocks. They rarely miss games because of injuries, even during games. They hated leaving the ice if they got hurt. We asked for anecdotes and thoughts about the Sedins, and we start with Travis Green, Canucks coach, talking about Daniel Sedin showing the kind of toughness we just mentioned. We were down 4 nothing, and Daniel lost his teeth. Oh, <laughs> And uh, we had a power play. It was in Tampa Bay, 13 minutes left in the game, and I, and I showed the clip probably three weeks later that here's a 4 nothing game, someone loses his teeth, bleeding all over the ice. At the 12-minute mark, here he is on the ice scoring a goal. And he's a Hall of Fame guy. He's not leaving the game. And those are just little things that you know young players can learn from. The things, the stories that don't get said about them are, you know, I remember last year um, Daniel got hit and had a slight shoulder separation, but... You know, he said, I'm, I'm going to try to play every game, and he played through it. Um, I know Hank last week in Dallas, and Travis could tell the story. I got a call from John Sanderson in the morning, and he said, there's no way Henrik Sedin's playing tonight. He's so sick, he can't get out of bed. Uh, he showed up that night, and I think he played him 19 minutes. And, like, you know, those are the types of things that you don't hear about on a day-to-day basis that, you know, that's been so valuable for our younger kids to be around. Yeah, it's gonna be tough. I mean, um, it's a it's a huge hole to fill. Uh, obviously, you know, they've been part of this organization for many years now, and um, you know their their leadership on and off the ice, and 
you know how they approach every single game it's going to be tough to to fill uh to fill that void a lot of times when people meet their idols it doesn't live up to the expectations not only did you get to meet with them but you got to play with them yeah how different was it yeah it's uh you know it was always fun i remember when i was you know 10 years old 11 years old and i was watching them and i never never would have thought i would be on a line with them or you know on the same team as them so uh it's really you know i think it's a little bit different for me to you know obviously be able to play with hank and danny and you know they're such special guys and uh you know they're obviously you know in my opinion hall of famers two players that have you know held the standard of accountability pretty high within this organization and um you know, that's kind of the level that everybody's going to have to look up to now uh, when they put on the jersey. So uh, they left a legacy here, and um, you know there's nothing but great things to say about those two as individuals. Their leadership and everything, and you know just being around them and watching them uh, on a daily basis, what they do. Uh, you know, like everyone that's been around them for for a time, have been very fortunate. You know, you know just watch them every day, how how professional they are, how great they are, like great teammates. The whole time I was there, uh, I can tell you that I cannot think of one time during every practice of the three years that we were there that they did not lead the drill and know exactly what was going on. And I do not recall ever that them not being uh, uh, first or close to first in the weight room or any activity that ended after. So they just showed the young guys the way there for so many years of and, and by example. I, I feel very fortunate as a coach, I've been coaching this league a long time, to have the short time I had with them. I wish it was longer. Uh, I think I would have been a better coach for it, uh, and I would have uh, uh, got to understand them even more. But they are good friends of mine. Uh, I have just nothing but true respect for them. Nothing more needs to be said. Canucks not going to the playoffs. Giants in the playoffs win this game, and they move on to round two against Victoria. Tyler Benson ties the score. 3-3. They lead the series 3-2, but in overtime, Victoria wins it. Noah Gregor after some great work by Matthew Phillips. So tomorrow night in Victoria, game seven. Winner moves on to round number two. The Whitecaps have signed goalkeeper Sean Melvin to a contract. He's from Victoria. He uh, played 21 games for the uh, Whitecaps 2 team, had four shutouts. The deal with the Whitecaps includes options which could keep him around the organization until 2021. Good for him. There you go. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. You're welcome. BC is lighting up in blue tonight for World Autism Awareness Day. And that's not all. Canucks goalie Jacob Markstrom will be wearing his support for autism awareness right on his face. Jacob Markstrom proudly shows off his new mask. So this is the, just the logo, the Johnny Canuck. And then on this side is the Orca. And then the, the puzzle, who's, uh, you know, it's uh, a sign for the, the autism. Markstrom's new mask helped celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the Canucks Autism Network. It was designed by a teen supporter of CAN, of which Markstrom is an ambassador. Everybody knows somebody that, that, uh, that it affects, so it's, uh, I think it's uh, you know, a great thing. And, uh, you know, there's, i got a venue I can uh, you know, inform people playing hockey. Last year alone, CAN staff and volunteers helped more than 4,000 people living with autism. I discovered how incredibly supportive... Swimming lessons are among the dozens of programs offered by the charity, started by Canucks owner Paolo Aquilini and his wife, who have a son on the spectrum. Christian was diagnosed at two years old, 
that he had autism. And so we have been walking the trials, tribulations, the joys, you know, the pains of with so many other parents across this province and across the world. And uh, so we have a passion to, to help families, really. Future games and concerts at Rogers Arena will soon be more autism friendly. We have trained all our staff who are going to be at the game to look after anyone who has issues, who has autism. We have kits that we prepare for families that want to bring them home before the game so they can prepare what to expect when they come. For Markstrom, the new mask is temporary. It will be auctioned off by the Canucks Autism Network, helping thousands of BC kids. Well, to see them, uh, you know, jump around, run around, smile and, you know, play around with them, it's, uh, it gives me a lot of joy. Catherine Urquhart, Global News.